Today, we complete the final week of our worship series, I Love to Tell the Story. That's based upon the, the title of the well-known hymn. It's found in our hymnal 156, I Love to Tell the Story. That hymn, however, began as a poem of a hundred stanzas. Can you imagine writing a, a poem of a hundred stanzas? When I was in school, I mean, I, I would, you know, have a hard time just making the minimum of the assignment uh, when I was uh, in high school. Poetry was not my thing, of, at least when I created it. I love to read it, but not create it. It, it was written by the English missionary Catherine Hankey. Hankey had been influenced by the Methodist revival in England with John Wesley and others and had taught in Sunday school in London before she went to Africa as a missionary. During her time in Africa, she became seriously ill and it was while she was bedridden for an extended period of time that she wrote this poem. 155 years ago. Hanky wrote words such as, I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. We too are called to share the story of Jesus and in gratitude to share his love with others. During the first week of our series, we went to Tyre with Jesus and we met a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter, daughter was healed by Jesus. And we talked about the message of Jesus. His love and his grace is for all people, for everyone in the world. God shows no partiality. And in week number two, Pastor Gian encouraged us to think outside the box and to examine and to discover how God is working in our lives and to ask questions such as, what is the story of God in my life? And last week, Pastor Marg challenged us to tell our stories. You've got a story, and, and Pastor Marg challenged you to tell it because the world needs to hear it now more than ever. Today, we continue our series with a story in the desert. And as we prepare to read God's word, we seek God's illuminating grace. Let us pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as, our, that as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark. In the eighth chapter, we begin at verse 1. In those days, when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them will have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. 
Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Damathnutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's talk about some numbers this morning. What numbers you say? Well, not one and two, the record of the Washington Redskins, or I'm sorry, the Washington football team, right, as they're known now, or 65 and 96, the record of the Nats. We want to talk about the numbers that are in our scripture lesson today. There's three and seven and seven again and 4,000. Did you hear those numbers? Jesus says, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. Leaving Tyre by way of Sidon, Jesus is now in the Decapolis, a, a highly Hellenized Roman cities along the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a rather roundabout route that Jesus has taken to get to where he is. It's like the journey that Carolyn, my wife and I, took to Shenandoah National Park on Friday afternoon to Thornton Gap west of Warrington. We left a little bit about, a little bit after three o'clock with the plan that we would hike up to the cliffs at Stony Man for a time of watching the sunset and stargazing and then come back in the dark. But the traffic was so bad that we didn't get up to the entrance until 6.45 p.m. The Waze app that we were following took us to Chantilly and past Dulles until somehow it got us back to 66. And boy, we were watching it and wondering, where in the world are we now? Over and over again. I bet the disciples were wondering the same thing. They were far from home. Where in the world are we now? They are entering a ter territory that is both Jewish and pagan. And another large crowd gathers with Jesus in the desert for an extended time of, of teaching and of healing. Mark tells us the people spent how many days with Jesus? Three days, right? And after three days, the crowd's provisions are exhausted. And Jesus sees the crowd, and he sees that they're weak, 
He sees their hunger and, and that they are great at great risk if he were just to send them home. Jesus, Mark tells us, had compassion for them, pointing us towards God's gracious disposition towards all people. Now, the Greek word that is translated compassion can literally be translated to be bowed to. But I'm not talking about the word bow, as in bending over at the waist, and, and even though that, in a sense, that's what Jesus has done. He's bowed to the people. He has, he's seen what their, their need is, and he has reached out and reached down to them. But here, compassion means much more than just bowing. It means that Jesus is deeply, deeply moved to the core of his being, moved to his gut, a deep ache for the circumstances of the people, for the bowels, you see, were thought to be the places of love and pity, the seed of love and pity. It if we are to also follow Jesus and tell of Jesus' story as well as our own, because you see, as Pastor Marg shared with us last Sunday, our story belongs to the world, then we need to look around us as intently as Jesus did that day in the desert. Jesus is God's compassionate and wounded healer. Through his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' suffering and death bring joy and life. His humiliation brings glory. His rejection brought a community of love. As followers of Jesus in God's grace, we also are, are called to allow our wounds, our wounds to bring healing to others. While it's much more convenient to turn aside and to shy away from the pain and the need of others, compassion, compassion should be our first response. As human beings, we're made in the image of God, and when compassion is our first response, we are releasing the heart of God that is in us to the whole world. In his new book, A Time to Heal, J.R. Briggs wants his readers to consider who the Bible was written to. He writes this. He says, The scriptures were not written to comfortable, healthy people in power, but instead to a group of discouraged, displaced, distressed, and oppressed people marked by trauma. If we realize, sisters and brothers, that in the Old Testament was written mostly to people in exile, and if both Testaments were written to people who were oppressed and traumatized and suffering, how might that affect how we read our Bibles today? And yes, even our individual and collective thinking as Jesus' church. And of course, how would it affect our willingness to share our story of Jesus and his love? 
if we think about it, isn't that the kind of story that Pastor Marg wrote about and nevertheless she preached? Pastor Marg tells the story of Reverends Lillian Russell and Mildred Long, the, the two earliest clergy women in the Virginia Methodism, and the ridicule and the marginalizing and other the challenges that they had to overcome just to pursue God's call on their life before they were granted the same clergy rights as men. Stories have healing power because stories, they connect us. When people tell stories and they know that their stories are heard by someone who cares about them, it often allows healing to blossom. In the desert, Jesus listened and he taught and healing occurred. And after three days, Jesus says, I have compassion for the crowd who has nothing to eat. If you send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. The disciples replied, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves did they say? Seven, right? They had seven loaves. And Jesus took those seven loaves and he gave thanks and he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute along with a few small fish. And once again, for the second time in Mark's gospel, everyone ate their fill. They were full. Afterwards, Jesus tells his disciples to collect all the broken pieces. And the disciples collected how much? Seven baskets full. And how many people ate their fill? 4,000, right? Three and seven and seven and 4,000. And Jesus sent the people away. And Jesus immediately got into the boat with his disciples and he crossed to the other side of the sea. Jesus is seeking to open the eyes of his disciples. That's the theme of the extended section of Mark's gospel in which we find our lesson today. He's wanting to open their eyes to what he can do in them and yes, through them. He wants them to see just as he does. And he's helping them to write and to share a new story. And through the scriptures and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is seeking to do the same in your life and in my life today. Jesus, you see, is the one who will fulfill God's plan and calls all of the nations to himself to make the wounded nations whole again through healing. And as Jesus' disciples, we must speak and process our grief and resolve our pain because, you see, it affects our whole being, mind and body and spirit. We are called to come to the wounded healer, Jesus Christ. 
And as we follow Jesus, we must open our eyes to life events in others and in the world that leads others to feel alone and without any help or support. Because you see, it affects their whole being too, mind and body and spirit. No one, no one escapes being wounded. We're all wounded people, whether physically or emotionally, mentally or spiritually, we're all wounded. The main question is not, how can we hide our wounds so that we don't have to be embarrassed? But rather, how can we put our woundedness into service for others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we become wounded healers ourselves, just like Jesus. And we tell the story of Jesus and his love, and we tell the story, our story, so that others can know of the healing that can be found in Jesus Christ. Now, how do we begin? We might first look for tears in our own eyes and in the eyes of others. Frederick Beekner writes this about tears, primarily when he's talking about our tears, but we can easily apply it to others as well. Whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it's well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them in the mystery of where you have come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go to next. Tears, it has been said, are liquid prayers. Our tears and the tears of others. After the last year and a half that we've had since March of 2020, our call is to train our eyes and our hearts and, yes, our guts to look for those in need of healing, even when it's not always apparent and I thought a list of situations might be a great way to start and in your bulletin there is that there's a list of some situations that might spark other situations as well and ways that you and your individual relationship with others that you might hear through prayer how you are being called to reach out, to share, and to connect with others, even, even if you might not see tears. This insert includes a list to review and reflect upon and space to put names of, of other types of situations and the names of others that might need your heart, and your gut to reach out. J.R. Biggs, Briggs, excuse me, warns us that if we're not careful, we can assume healing can only happen 
in a doctor's examination room or on a counselor's couch or when a professional writes a prescription. Now, no doubt these contacts and these spaces are so very important, significant. But people heal in a myriad of ways, including ways that are far less formal, more relational and available each and every day. Healing happens when people strongly sense that we are in a safe place to tell their story and to hear others tell their story and to reflect and to process safely with others, even pray together, and yes, even perhaps just sit in silence, in stillness, with no words, no ex expectation. The great thing is, you see, we don't need a degree or loads of experience to share the heart of Christ with others. On December 22nd, 2010, my father died unexpectedly. I saw him that morning in the hospital, and we had a great breakfast together. His, his appetite had returned, and he was doing so, so much better. We even talked about him being discharged in a couple of days because the doctor had hinted at that as well. And I told them that I would be returning that evening to check on him again. And then I went to the church I was serving and I conducted a funeral service. Immediately after that funeral service, I was told by the church secretary that I needed to return to the hospital absolutely as soon as possible because my father had taken a turn for the worse. I shared my regrets with the family that I wouldn't be able to attend the reception, and then I headed towards Virginia Beach General. When I got upstairs and I turned the corner into my father's room, it was empty and spotless, as if he hadn't been there at all. I asked at the nurse's station if my father had been moved to another room and I was shocked to learn that my father had died a couple of hours before. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable because it seemed that he had been so very improved just hours before. Quite frankly, it was one of the saddest times of my life as I walked down and out to my car. I wanted to cry, but the tears, they wouldn't come. But let me tell you about a special kind of healing that happened two days later on Christmas Eve. In the midst of community and in the midst of candlelight, the hope and the love of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, covered me once again. And I, as I shared my experiences with the congregation, I shared my pain and my hurt, but I also shared the good news for the whole world and the promises that God has for us in Jesus Christ. Did all my pain go away? Of course not. But I could feel 
my heart being healed in the midst of that service. But that's not just about worship. It's about community, isn't it? Community. About one another. I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. The old, old story of Jesus and his love. Sisters and brothers, you have a story to tell as well. A story of, of hope and healing. A story of, of Jesus and his love for you. And there is someone that they, if they were to hear my story, it wouldn't connect with. But if they heard yours, you're the one they need to hear from. I don't know those names, and maybe you don't know them either yet. But will you pray about them? Pray about these people that need to hear your story. God's great love for you, the healing that you have experienced, the hope and the promise that you have in Jesus Christ. Amen.